BakerBots LLP provides podcasts for educational purposes only. They are not legal advice. This communication may constitute attorney advertising. Welcome to the Environmental Evolutions Podcast, where we explore the changing landscape of environmental law and policy. I'm your host, Megan Burge, coming to you live from my closet in Joshua Tree, California. Today's episode is a standalone episode on a notice of proposed rulemaking recently issued by the Department of Energy. Okay, this is a long title. Y'all are going to have to bear with me. It is a notice of proposed rulemaking on energy conservation programs for appliance standards, procedures, interpretations, and policies for consideration in new or revised energy conservation standards and test procedures for consumer products and commercial industrial equipment. Really has a ring to it, doesn't it? For the purposes of today's episode, we are just going to call it the process rule. Here with me to talk about the process rule is my partner, George Fibby. Prior to joining Baker Botts, George served as a deputy general counsel at the Department of Energy, and I'm really excited to have him here with us today. Thank you for joining us, George. Thank you, Megan. Pleasure to be here. So, George, what is the process rule? The process rule at the Department of Energy is a, a group of procedures, policies that the department follows when it is issuing energy efficiency regulations. And the process rule, or what is now known as the process rule colloquially, because the actual title is far too long to to go through every time, came into being in 1996 in the Clinton administration. But what's important for us today is that important revisions to the process rule were made in 2020 by the previous administration. And what we're looking at today is that the new administration last week announced and published a document that is a proposed revision, another proposed revision to the process rule. And in essence, what it seeks to do is undo the revisions that came in in 2020. Okay, George, I'm going to pause you there because I actually just in that simple explanation, have follow-up questions that I want to hit on. When you say energy efficiency, what falls in that bucket? All of the energy efficiency regulations that the U.S. Department of Energy issues are pursuant to EPCA, the Energy Policy and Conservation Act. What EPCA does is it authorizes and in some cases requires the department to regulate energy efficiency of certain consumer products for commercial equipment, household appliances, things like dishwashers, coolers, freezers, air conditioning, light bulbs, you name it. There is a long list of consumer products and commercial equipment that is subject to regulation under EPCA and is basically designed to conserve electricity and water. So it's, it's energy conservation. Well, and I think that laundry list you just gave really illustrates for our listeners 
why this rule is so significant because as you start to think about those everyday items, it's not just that we as everyone who lives in a house and me with three kids, I love my washer and dryer dearly. It's not just that we use these things, but you can see how what we're selling really matters all through the chain. So this is a rule that affects regulations that govern manufacture, supply, transit, stocking, maintenance, the folks who do maintenance on these appliances, really just a full chain, full value chain of businesses that could be impacted. And and Megan, to your list, I would add one thing, and that is importers. George, do tell. The, the regulations that the department issues also apply to imported goods. They apply to those who import covered equipment or covered products. What's so interesting here is a rule that by its title sounds so utterly boring is apparently so utterly not. The um, new administration has made it very clear that it intends to do a lot of rulemaking in this space. That energy efficiency as part of the Biden administration's climate focus uh, pretty much everywhere throughout the administration, part of it is going to involve energy efficiency. And so we can expect a lot of rulemaking coming out of the department over the next few years. This rule, the process rule, is going to, in many ways, set the table for that rulemaking. So, George, despite the long and, frankly, technical-sounding name for this rule, it doesn't sound like you're expecting this to be non-controversial. That's right. Uh, I think that the fact is the rule is very consequential and parties that follow this space carefully recognize the the consequences, the impact that it's likely to have over the next four years or more. And so I expect it to be an active comment period and parties who are interested to weigh in. That said, the department's proposing seven different changes to the process rule. And not all seven of them will be controversial. Some of them are are less likely to draw a whole lot of comment, maybe more along the lines of clarifications, but some of them are actually quite important. Well, George, can you talk a little bit more about what exactly is being proposed here? Sure. Much of this rule is undoing revisions to the process rule that were made by the previous administration just a few months ago, well, in February and August of 2020. And the new proposed rule, which as we're recording this has not yet been published in the Federal Register, um, proposes seven changes. And so I'll briefly run through those just so we understand what all is, is happening here. The first one is one of the most important. The first change is that In 2020, the Department of Energy decided that the process rule was not going to be mere general guidance, but rather was going to be binding on the department. And so the new proposed rule as of last week would reverse that and make the process rule not binding anymore. And the the justification that the department gives for that is that we require flexibility. We uh, uh, may need to make exceptions and depart from the process rule from time to time on a case-by-case basis. That's actually a very significant change. Second, the previous 2020 rule included specific metrics to determine whether an energy efficiency regulation is significant or not. 
So the statute, the statute mandates that the department, that the Secretary of Energy, issue energy efficiency regulations when it can save a significant amount of energy, but it doesn't define significant. Third, the new rule would remove a recently added requirement about comparative analysis of different technological options. And that is highly technical, and I won't get into it uh, too much, but it's what is known by experts in the space as the DOE walk-down rule, where the DOE examines what is the most technological, what is the technologically feasible option that would save the most energy and has a, a walk-down process to determine what it's going to do. The new rule would go back to DOE's previous guidance about the timing of issuing test procedures versus issuing energy efficiency regulations. And the issue there is that the rule that came in in 2020 essentially said that the, the department needs to give 180 days between issuing a test procedure or changing a test procedure and an energy efficiency regulation. In other words, there's this tension or, or this sequencing issue between deciding how energy efficient something has to be and how you're actually going to test it to see if it really is that energy efficient or not. And from a manufacturer's standpoint, that's very important because if you don't know how you're supposed to measure it, it's, it's hard to figure out whether your products are going to be compliant or not. So there, there's an issue there that, uh, that this rule is addressing. Fifth, the new rule is, is addressing industry standards. So the, the previous rule, I think this was more of a clarification than a series, than, a, than an important major change that is. But the department can take uh, test procedures that are, or standards that are common in the industry and can just adopt those as long as they're consistent with the statute with EPCA. And, and there's a, some clarification in the new rule about how that is going to work. Sixth, the um, the sixth and seventh, I think, are related, and these have to do with the Administrative Procedure Act and rulemaking process. And together, they're I think they're very important. The the department has said that it is going to go back to its prior practice of issuing direct final rules. So rather than in certain circumstances, when industry comes to the department and says, "Hey," here's a proposal for a rule and, and everybody is in the industry or that is a fairly representative group of stakeholders are in favor of it, the department can issue a direct final rule as opposed to going through the full APA, this sort of longer process. The sixth and seventh are related because the seventh is about negotiated rulemaking, which is kind of a similar concept that under certain circumstances, the department itself will negotiate with the regulated community to come up with a new rule. And so the kind of combination of those two have, are, are very, going to be very important because they, to the extent the department does it and takes advantage of the space that it's creating for itself with this new rule, it could be engaging in negotiated rulemaking. And if you're in the industry, you certainly want to be part of that negotiation. And then rather than going from a negotiated rulemaking to uh, a notice of proposed rulemaking or, or similar procedure, it would go or could go to a direct final rule. And that is a, that's a process that it, if you are a stakeholder, those are processes that are going to be important to you and you're going to want to be a part of. That was quite a list, George. 
What's the timeline for the proposed rule to go to final? The initial timeline, Megan, for when this is all going to be implemented is keyed off of when the notice of proposed rulemaking is going to be uh, published in the Federal Register. As of the time we're having this conversation, it hasn't happened yet, but the department has requested comments within 45 days. But uh, to be sure, the department is interested in getting this rulemaking completed as quickly as it can because so many of the other regulations that it is that it has its sights set on are going to be dependent on and draw from this process. Well, that makes sense. Before I let you go today, I wanted to ask, what should our listeners really be watching for or focused on with this proposal? Well, I, I think there are two things, Megan. First of all is the the idea that through this proposed rule, the department is making the process rule not binding on itself. And to the extent that is a signal of things, the regulated industries should be watching as we go through these rulemaking processes to see if the department is deviating from the process rule or not. It, it is baking into the rule as a change from what came in in 2020, much more discretion and flexibility as it states in its proposed rule. So the, the fact that it's not going to be, that it is making the, the process rule not binding on itself, it will be interesting as we go forward to see how the department takes advantage of that discretion that it's giving itself. Second is, and, and relatedly, is because this rule, the process rule, sets the table for the subsequent rulemakings as to particular products and commercial equipment, to the extent that the department uses the process rule or, or uses any process, whether it's part of the process rule or part of its discretion to depart from the process rule, that opens up the way for the department to uh, engage in decision-making that could be considered arbitrary or capricious, that is the, the setup for potential legal challenges. So in other words, when particular rules come out down the line, if industry players or others seek to challenge those rules through litigation, looking back at how the department used the process might be instructive as to how uh, one might want to frame its legal challenge. Yeah, and George, that's a really good observation. Thank you for that additional thing to sit up and worry about at night. I appreciate it. <laughs> Don't thank me. George, this has been a great discussion, and I really appreciate you taking the time to jump on the recording with me and go through this rule. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you today or that you want to speak on or leave our listeners with as we wrap up? No, I think the only issue, Megan, is just that there are often rules like this or regulations like this that, that seem rather uh, boring or nondescript but can have huge consequences and can play into things that are going to matter in the marketplace uh, quite a bit. And this is really a perfect example of something we like to be sure that, that folks are aware of and planning as to how they want to participate in the rulemaking process because it can make a difference in what the shape of the final rule turns out to be. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining me today, George. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. For all of our listeners interested in the process rule or who would like more information, a link to the notice of proposed rulemaking is in our episode notes. 
And of course, you're welcome to contact George or me if you have additional questions. With that, I think we're at the end of our time together. I'm Megan Burge. Thank you for spending time with me today. Thank you for listening to this BakerBots podcast. For more information on BakerBots practices, please visit us at bakerbots.com. For over 180 years, through 13 offices in nine countries, BakerBots has the experience, knowledge, and people to solve our clients' most significant legal issues. This presentation is provided by BakerBots LLP for educational and informational purposes only. It is not legal advice. Under the rules of certain jurisdictions, this communication may constitute attorney advertising.